What's up, everybody? This is the Military Millionaire Podcast. I'm your host, David Perret, and I'm here with your sexy co-host, Alex Felice, with his awesome new mic. And we've got Matt DeBoff on the show for the second time, one of our few repeat guests so far. If you didn't watch his first episode, you should, because it's a good one, and it was a lot of fun to record. But Matt, for a quick recap, uh, Regal Marine got out, uh, house basically house-hacked a 20-unit apartment as his first investment, moved into the damn thing, and... Uh, freaking crushed it and now he owns a whole bunch of multifamily apartments all on his own never partnered with anyone and he does this badass cross collateralization thing which we're going to dig into and then we're going to talk shit about the economy and the world and current events and just have a whole bunch of fun this show because we're all assholes so uh that's the intro matt welcome to the show Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. Thanks for having me. Did I miss anything on your intro? Is there, <laughs> like, I, expect, I expected more than that. <laughs> Why don't you tell no, us I'm a little bit about the, uh... Matt, how many, right. um, how many multifamilies did you buy last year? So I bought Ish. two Close. and sold two. Bought oh, units! Time, so. I bought a hundred, about a hundred, and I sold fifty. There were two fifty-unit buildings. The ones you bought? Uh, I bought a Ish. forty-seven and a forty-eight, and then I sold a twenty and a fifteen and a seventeen. How did you? You do it mostly alone, huh? How do you do them all alone? It yep. took me. It took me a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Well. I bought low. I forced equity through uh, just natural market appreciation, fixing properties up, increasing my NOI, reappraised them, got a high appraisal, and then cross collateralized them just to keep buying more and more. And that's what I'm continuing to do. When you do cross collateralization, what? How big will they let the second position? How far will they go in the second? We, can we back Up to 100%. first and explain what cross-collateralizing is to the audience that might not know? Because it's not super All common. right, cross-collateralization is basically it's kind of like taking a line of credit out, but instead of taking that cash out, you're leaving it on the books. And when you leave it on the books, you're not paying interest on it because you technically haven't pulled it out of the bank. So what I do is I take that, leave it on the books, and use that as a down payment to buy another property, which typically you have to do at the same bank. But that's how I'm buying multi-million dollar real estate or multifamily buildings without putting money down is I have so much equity in other properties. I cross-collateralize them. I tie them all together. I do a quick rehab, usually six to 12 months. And then I get them both reappraised, get them untied together so they're not, it's not a giant house of cards. And then... I move on to the next project. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> so you got to buy super deep. Yeah. I'm and buying then, value add, whether it's, whether it's re, needs re, a lot of rehab work or it's just poorly managed, high vacancy, all the class D class C properties. That's the ones I'm looking for because they're deeply discounted. Usually actually they're all off market deals. Uh, they're all usually mom and pop no professional management. It's just, it's the same as buying a single family home or a duplex that's just ran into the ground. I'm just buying them at a much larger scale. I'm putting my management team in there. We're cleaning house, raising rents, raising occupancy, doing whatever rehab work we need, getting it reappraised, getting a higher value, and then going from there and keep buying. I like it. And I think you, uh, you pulled management in-house this year too, didn't you? Yep. I, uh, I got one more building that's with a third party management, but as soon as that contracts up, I'm going to bring that in the house too. And I got everything under, under one roof now. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, 
I need to work on that for the next one, buy something super deep value. But actually, interestingly enough, I am thinking about going the opposite way, going to A class. Do you have any problems with, you said you kick all the tenants out? No, usually I just try and kick the ones that are bad, the bad apples out, the ones that don't pay or, you know, they're friends with the landlord or the previous owner and they're staying there for dirt cheap or they're just kind of doing half-assed jobs to get by on their rent because my main focus now is I'm trying to vertically integrate. So I've got property management in-house. I've got all my own handyman, my cleaning crew, um, almost self-sufficient on the construction side. So I don't have a need to give rent breaks to people for doing odd jobs. And most of the time, those landlord buddies and friends, you know, they can't pass a credit application. They're not going to be able to pay full rent. So the perfect time to get them out is when Day one, when I close, I go in there and I say, hey, this is the plan. You know, if you like it, you can stay and sign a new lease at my terms or you can hit the road and we'll turn your unit and get market rent for it. I'm going through that same thing right now. I'm going through that same thing right now. Do you tell everybody all at once? Yep, everybody. Day one, within 60 minutes of closing, there my property manager's already at the property with the keys with notices she posts them on the doors say this is what's going on if you have any questions call me and then she knows for the next 96 hours it's going to be non-stop phone calls emails what do i do about this the last landlord did this or that that's why during your due diligence and closing you get everything in writing like you know tenant in apartment 47 they this is their security deposit and get that all in writing that way the tenant can't come back and be like well i paid six months of rent which you know it didn't happen because you got prorated rents and everything's in black and white for you to show them. Right. So do you find that that's actually more difficult with the mom and pop owners though? The, you know, the, the organization is less, let's say that leases are. Oh yeah. Weirder. It's terrible. Cause leases, I mean, last, this building I just bought a couple weeks ago that, I mean, they still had carbon copy leases is what they were using. So, I mean, there, there's people that have been in there for, 30 years paying the same rent. That's why, yeah. that's why I got it such a discount is because it was such a, such below market value with rents. So now I, I, the best thing to do is go in there and say, Hey, I'm the new guy. This is the terms. You don't like it. Leave. There's yeah, no, actually, Hey, you know, I know you were friends with this guy and you know, I know you guys were buddies or I know you were paying to get by a rent, but you know what? I, this is our team. We run it as professionally as possible. Pay this amount or get out. Yeah, one of my favorite things to hear when I'm talking to a like direct to a seller is when you ask them about the lease and their answer is, oh, well, they've just been there forever. So there is no lease. Like that's the best thing you could possibly tell me because I know within 30 days of closing, that person will be gone or at market value because you can just walk in and say, hey, you got 30 days or you're paying this and no problem. If they're the worst thing in the world is when you got someone who's been in there for like 20 years, they're still paying like three or 400 bucks a month, like, you know, two, three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars under market value. And they got nine months left on their lease because they're still keeping up on the paperwork and you're like, crap. Um, so yeah, I, I love, I almost love when it's, you know, carbon copy or nothing. And it's like, all right, well, they didn't raise the rent, but at least I'm not stuck with this guy. So yeah, I didn't have any of that. Luckily, on this one, we uh, we had some people pick up and leave, or people that are just about to leave. Our, their lease records are actually good because what on this one, what we did, we had it was a third party management company, so they were like kind of had their stuff together. They were kind of organized, so our documents were in good shape. That's why I was asking, kind of what your experience has been like. Yes, yeah, I mean it's all across the board. Some some buyers are really good; they have everything in their own their own property management software and they could email me everything. I mean, I closed on a 22 unit a couple of years ago and the guy literally handed me a garbage sack full of carbon copy receipts. And this is everybody that's paid rent in the last three years. <laughs> you see. How do you find these, how, <laughs> how do you find these the deals? Bag. Uh, deals, off market deals. I got a power broker. I mean, he's just a bulldog. He's out there. Making phone calls, networking. I don't know. The guy probably drinks six pots of coffee a day with everybody. He's just constantly going to meetings, to meetings, to meeting, networking. Uh, the biggest thing he does, I think, which is a good lesson for everybody, is he brings so much value to everybody. He's always hooking people up. You know, I know this contractor. I know this this property management company. I know, you know, this guy does siding. This guy does roofing. So everybody's 
kind of connected to him in some way. And he just, he finds these off market deals that are just unbelievable. And the reason he brings them to me first is because I'm a proven buyer. I have a good track record. I have the net worth. I don't retrade. I'm not going to nitpick every little thing. I'm going to do my own due diligence and not have him do other things that realtors do. Like I don't need him to do a pro forma. I can do my own pro forma. I don't need him to right. call the utility companies and get averages. I do all that on my own. So he just basically brings me the deal. He's the middleman doing the communication. I run my own numbers on my own spreadsheet. If I got a question for the seller, he's the middleman for it. He gets me the answer quickly. He's selling me to the seller saying, hey, this guy's got a pre-approval letter. He's putting $50,000 down. It's going hard day one. He's going to do his due diligence. Let him do his thing. He's going to ask you minimum questions. And you go hard on the 50 grand. Close. You don't do any earnest money? You go hard day one? I have before to get a deal just to show that I was serious because it's so, it's so competitive right now. I mean, 20, we're only what 27 days into the first year or the new year, but already 2021 is a different market from 2020. Like there are people right now that are buying at four and five caps in my area that I just, I would never believe that they they'd sell for that. So now I have to change my strategy as far as closing. I have to be like, Hey, this is going to go hard within, you know, either day one or in 10 days, it's going hard, whether I'm done or not. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I've got a going back and forth right now with a third party broker on potentially selling my 10 unit. And you, well, you guys have heard me talk about this a few times and I had basically settled on refinancing and, and pushing the term out and pulling capital and enjoying the interest rates until a 10 unit popped up on the market, two miles from mine and sold for $200,000 more than it should have, which at the price point it's at is like a 40% jump at a, it's selling at a six cap. And I was like, there's no way. So I, I happened to, I mentioned it to my guy. I was like, yo, this, I bought this thing at a 12 cap. You think there's any chance I can get seven or eight? And he was like, I could get you six and a half. I'm like, all right, well, how about you? Like, let's, I'm getting an appraised to refi, see what you can do. And I bought this thing at 212, three years ago. And someone's talking to me right now about maybe 450 and I'm like, okay, look, if I could walk away from this thing with that kind of return in three years and pay off like everything I own and still have like $150,000 in operating capital, I would, you know, because I don't think it's worth anywhere near that. So why would I not? Anyway, yeah, it's just, it's kind of nuts what people are willing to pay right now. I, th I think the biggest thing that people don't realize with multifamily and single family is like my broker will bring me a deal. I'll kind of do a little bit of DD on it, due diligence and try and get my numbers in a round ballpark. Then Monday I'll submit an LOI and I say, I want this information so I can get it, put it under contract. So they'll have, you know, three, four days. They'll get me all this information on Friday. I'll submit an offer. And I've that in that whole week, I've already done 95% of my due diligence. I've already did my called the utility companies. I've kind of did a, you know, a walkthrough of most of the units, did everything I could possibly do. Friday, I'll submit an offer and I'll say, Hey, Monday morning, this is what my, or this is what my offer is Friday. I want it signed by Monday. If you agree, $30,000 will go hard on Monday. Cause I've already had that due diligence. I don't have time to waste it. it my, my worst case scenario is I put $30,000 down and I don't like it and I lose it. Yeah. That would suck. 30 grand is a lot of money. But if I do close on it and I've got a million or a million and a half dollars worth of equity on this, the day of closing to me, that's worth the, worth the gamble. I mean, it would suck losing 30 grand. I well, but that, especially, but especially you're doing some due diligence. You, I mean, and you, if you know the market really well and you have experience in the deals, it's like, it's not like you're going into this thing blind. Yeah. You're not throwing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no, very similar to I doing know, it to, sorry. I know the market and I can put my team, my team can come with me and they can say, Hey, yeah, this is what these units are going to rent for. The only thing I'm unsure of is what every single unit is looks like for as far as a physical aspect. So even if I do run into major damage where, oh, now I have to replace floor coverings or kitchen cabinets, I've already have, you know, a, a line full of guys waiting to do that work. So yeah, it'll set me back a little bit, but the equity that I'm going to gain from doing that is it's exponential. And since and the, you refi the cash out or you re-collateralize, you, you're, you're spending, you can basically float that money until you do the refi anyway. Yeah. And the yeah, other thing so then is, when I refi, I can either pull my money out if I have to, whatever money I like, 
if I put a hundred grand in after closing of my own money for rehab, and then a year later I'm done and I want to refi it, then I can ask for that hundred back, hundred thousand dollars back, pay myself back, or I can just leave it on the books. Yeah. And the other thing is $30,000, like you said, is a lot of money, but it's not a make or break, right? Like you are doing well enough that a $30,000 loss would suck, but it, it it's, it's a small enough percentage of your income, net worth, whatever you want to say that like, it's a risk that you're able to assume for the, the upside, right? Like you would never say, Hey, someone's got $30,000 to their name. Let's throw 30 grand down and hope we get all this equity. But when you're in a position where it's like, I got, you know, properties worth whatever, like I can afford a little bit of a gamble because the upside is so huge. And I know what I'm doing. I've got a team I've got, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a good place to be in where you are, you know, a 90% solution able to make a hell of an offer. That's super compelling. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it as I'm putting $30,000 down on a property and I'm making a calculated risk where I'm going to get 10, 20 X my money. I'm not sticking 30 grand into GameStop hoping it. <laughs> 10x is there. I mean, it might have been more than worth more than all of our portfolios together if we'd done it at the right time. <laughs> How uh, have you ever gone? Have you ever gone all in? Have you ever gone all in like on a deal early, where you spent everything you had on a deal? You mean like as all my personal cash? Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. As I say, Same. your first one. But I when I do, when I. <laughs> When I do that, though, I already know the risk. I know that I have a 99% chance of closing that property. So I don't, I mean, I don't care because I know I'm going to close on it. I'm not willing to, I'm not blindly just going in saying, hey, I'm putting my whole life savings on this without looking at the numbers, without walking the property, and I hope it works out. I was just saying as a juxtaposition to what David was saying, where he says, well, 30 grand, at least you can afford the loss. And I'm like, have you ever taken one that you really kind of couldn't afford the loss? But you knew, it's not a gamble, but you knew, but it's like, well... You know, still, you just never know, right? Like, there's always that chance. I've yeah. done so. I've done it too. That's why I was asking. Yep, yep. Guilty. Yeah, I think you have to. I think the first bet, the first big bet you make, you have to bet on yourself. Which is I argue that this is like one of the single greatest things about being in the military when you invest in real estate. Because if you're 25 and you're a E5 in the military or whatever, and you go all in on a property and you lose your shirt, you still have housing paid for, food paid for like a job you're like losing your shirt is not nearly as bad as if you lost your shirt in a world where like you have no stability. And I'm not telling people to go lose their shirt, but like the ability to be able to take on a risk when you're early and you can recover from it, like when you're young and can recover from it, eh, you know, assuming, assuming you're not taking on the wrong risk, I guess there's obviously a huge downside to that. I'm not going to condone that to people because I'm talking online and I'm someone's going to take this and use it against me. But like, there's definitely something to be said for having enough of a foundation that you can afford to take some risks when you're young and you can bounce back. Yeah. Safety nets are good, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Half a sa- having a safety net is good, but it's a delicate balance because it's too easy to rely on the safety net. Sometimes, yeah. um, sometimes this last year, man, being hungry, like having no income and just being like, I, I gotta go out and hunt. Felt very good. Felt very, very good. Yeah, but didn't that fear of hunger, didn't that drive you more to be successful? That's what what I'm saying. Yeah, you're like, just being. Yeah, fuck yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, you get this, hey, look, uh, I'm not going to pay my bills if I don't actually do something. So let me, and I don't really want to work that hard. So let me find a really smart way to do this. (laughs) And I did did pretty well last year, actually. And for for that reason. So actually, I was on a thing, I was on a podcast or a, a, a RIA, a virtual RIA tonight. And somebody's like, oh, when's the right time to quit your job? And I'm like, just quit. You'll be all right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Not what I uh, said a year ago. Yeah, no, it's been very healthy for me. And I I told him, I said, look, you can go back to work. Don't put it, don't put yourself a prison about yourself, you know? I'm stoked. But having a a safety net is good. It, it's, uh, it can be good. It it does allow you to take more risk. I think it's kind of. I think having a safety net is good. And I mean, you should obviously account for reserves and stuff like that when purchasing. But I think on the other hand, not having something to fall back on gives you so much more of a drive and willing to take risks that, you know, you have to succeed because failure is not an option. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. Burn your ships. You're like, it's a what? The old burn your ships, Cortez. Burn the analogy. ships. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. It's like, well, having us, I guess, I guess the, I guess the good median here would be like having a safety net's great, but that like you have a safety net. So fucking jump, not, well, I have a safety net, but I'm still going to play super safe. Cause I don't want to use the safety net. Like go for it. If the safety net's there, I don't know. It's a delicate balance. Cause I'll tell you what, I couldn't do what I did last year without the rental income. Like if I had no money coming in, it'd been harder. So having, but the fact that I built that safety net, that's the other thing, you know, like the military is perfect job security, which is kind of the problem, kind of Matt's problem where it's like, dude, you can't even get fired. You know, <laughs> you're like, oh, I'll be ambitious next week. That paycheck's definitely come in. I can waste this one next week. I'll invest it. And so that's a, that's a slippery slope to, you know, freaking 20 years. Uh, <laughs> but Hey, you were talking earlier about what people are willing to pay in this market for multifamily. How much do you think that's tied to what we're seeing in the stock market right now? The date of which is January 27th for our listeners. This is GameStop day. What will forever be the national game stonk. I, I think it might not. I don't think the real estate market and stock market are so much tied together as it is a buying frenzy that's tied together because people say think or people are looking and saying, Oh, these people made all this money in the stock market. I can do this in real estate. And there's a lot of capital out there. When was the last time you saw this much capital floating out there? I mean, any kid on Instagram can raise money somehow to syndicate a deal. Even if they have no experience, there's so much money out there. I think the problem is, is nobody has anything to buy. So they're just paying these ridiculous prices. I mean, two years ago, if you would have said, you know, this is what it's going to be in two years, I would have laughed and said, no, it's a bubble. It's going to pop. Now I'm regretting two years ago. I should have bought everything that I could have possibly got my hands on two years ago because I would be sitting way better than I am right now. And now I'm wondering, like, is, is that what I should be doing now is buying everything and get my hands on? But I think the biggest difference between what I do and what a lot of other investors do is I buy on cash flow. I'm not buying on a banking on appreciation. My cash flow is going to work because I'm at the even when shit hits the fan in the worst case scenario, I'm still paying my bills. I still got a 1.2 DSCR. I'm still paying my bills. Everything else that I make above that, that's just, that's my bread and butter right there. That's my, or that's my icing on the cake right there is all the extra stuff. But I think a lot of people right now are buying, you know, at a three, four, five cap saying, oh shit, in two years, you know, I'll be able to make 50%, 60% of what I paid for it, more than what I paid for it today, which I don't, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but I mean, I, I said the same thing two years ago and look where we're at. Yeah, yeah. same. So the question becomes, um, when did the bubble start? <laughs> well, no. actually, um, I think they're both tied in the Federal Reserve interest rates. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so in addition to posting on Facebook all this nonsense today, I posted that um, they're going to keep rates low for, yeah. it's, they keep saying it. Oh, can out today. I mean, yeah. that's e even if even if all the other market factors signaled bust, right? Like on the real estate side, right? All of a sudden, permits stop getting pulled, housing inventory increases, and everything else. With rates this low, I mean, I don't. It's not going to be like a a free fall. It would be like a slow. I feel like it would. Be, I mean, with rates this low, I can't help but think it would be a much slower decline than any other. I mean, even if it goes down, it, it would just. I can't see a free fall without the interest rates climbing, right? It, it'll go, it might, I mean, it could very well go down, but it's a weird, well, weird spot well, to be in. Well, the problem is um, the, uh, more, more loans are shorter term and variable rate than you're thinking. Big loans, mm. two years, three years, and variable rates. A lot of SBA loans are variable rate. A lot of big loans are variable rate. And so when the rates come up, if you don't have the cash flow, if you bought something like six months ago and you don't have big cash flow and now rates come up and you get in a, a crunch quickly, that's going to trickle down real fast. Yeah. That's what we saw. That's what we saw in 2018. The rates come up one point, two points, or not even, they came up 75 basis points. Was it that much? Or was it a point and a half? Something like that. It might've been a point and a yeah. half. And they yanked it back because they saw the defaults rate, uh, rates uh, go up immediately, which tells me that even though we've had 12 years of low rates, people are still, they're fiscally irresponsible always. Well, they're taking as much as they can right now. If you subsidize it, you just give yourself less options. So when it does, when it comes down to the bottom, or when it stays down the bottom and people are buying and buying and buying, when it comes up a little bit, people are going to come into a crunch. 
because they're not, it's not like they're sitting there saving, they're invested all in this, in this nonsense. Like Matt said, the liquidity is insane. We're pulling every single penny out of their house instead of just like taking the rate and lowering their term or, you know, whatever. I mean, which not to say that that's a bad thing, right? I mean, if you pull your equity and you've got like, that could be a very good decision, you know, but it's just a very interesting, I'm trying to get rid of any bad debt and build a cash position just to make sure I'm covered in case of whatever while still buying deals. They're going to print money, cash, get out of cash, buy debt. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, yep. you think that's right? And the, the other, yeah, I, oh, I agree because I mean, some of these loans, you, if you can get a five, 10 year locked in interest rate at whatever, three and a half, four percent 4%, some of those loans are assumable. So even if the rates go up and you can sell that property with that three and a half percent interest rate and everyone else is paying 6%, you just added a shit ton of value to your property because you have this locked rate in, which that's another thing people don't understand is if you, if you can get a loan that's assumable by a qualified buyer and they you can lock that loan an interest rate in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, you're adding value without, without even actually adding value. You're just locking in what's there. That's smart. So like the that. Freddie Mac loan that I just bought, I did a 3.5% five year assumable non-recourse. Love it. That's insane. That's for, awesome. And that's, and that's get, for, for those of you listening, that's not on a house. That's on a 52 unit apartment complex. That's awesome. My goal for 2021 is to go get a bunch of those loans. That's my number one investment. Go buy that debt for that exact reason. Not that exact reason, but one of those reasons. What's up, guys? Today, I wanted to stop and sponsor my own podcast by myself, which is a little cheesy, to tell you about the course that I'm launching called From Zero to One, Real Estate Investing for Beginners. Now, this is not a course to help you get rich fast. This is not a course to promise you to make a bajillion dollars, but this is the course that will help you get from zero rental properties to one rental property. It is designed to get you through your first purchase. Everything you need to know to get you through that step with support from myself, obviously via email and whatever, so that we can talk and I can help answer some of those questions for you. And it is extremely affordable right now because I'm launching it for only 97 bucks, which given the amount of content in there and the testimonials I got from the people who tested it beforehand, I am super on the low end for that price, but I'm going to probably have to bump it up in a little while but for now to test the waters and see exactly how many people i'm able to help with this i want it to be extremely affordable because i want to help service members and veterans get their feet in the water so if you are interested in learning about rental properties and you just want to learn how to get your first one and then there are some bonus episodes in there to help you advance past that but if you really just want to know everything you need to know to buy your first property without screwing yourself over this is the course for you. Go ahead and check it out. The link will be down below in the show notes and back to your episode. Do you do, um, are you yeah, getting, I think, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think a big, a big thing that people don't understand about overpaying for property that cash flows well is if you buy a million dollar apartment building and it pays the debt at the worst case scenario, I'm saying, you know, 20% vacant drop rents by 20%. The very, very, hardest stress test you can put on that property and it's still paying a million dollar debt who gives a shit if in a year from now it's only valued at five hundred thousand dollars because it's still supporting a million dollar valuation so just ride that bottom out where it goes down to five hundred thousand you don't do you need to sell if you need to sell then you have a problem i'm in a position where i don't need to sell i'm going to hold these properties for 20 30 years it might be a legacy thing so i don't have to sell the property i don't care if i buy a million dollar property today and next year it's only worth five hundred thousand because my cash flow today is supporting a million dollar loan. So if it goes down, oh, well, big deal. But you know what? And more than likely in a few years, it's going to go back up. It's going to increase in value. I'm going to pay the principal down. Interest rates might still be low. I can still refinance. I, sh I don't have a problem with it. That's why a lot of people who are buying shit right now, they, I don't think they realize when they're buying them and they're running the numbers and they're not putting them under a stress test. And it, you know, it's 100% occupied. We're not dropping rent. And it's barely cash flow. And I think those are the guys that's going to have to pay the check when it comes due because they're going to be like, well, I, don't, I can't pay this anymore. Let the bank take it. Yeah, uh, we did pretty good. We got, I really like the way we structured our deal actually with the um, uh, it's B class, reliable rents right below market rent. So if rents drop, ours are like less likely to come down. It's uh, we, pay, we can pay our investors our preferred return at 85% occupancy. 
Is that good? Yeah, very good. Yeah. So right now I think we're at like, I think we have three vacancies. So we turned it over. Some people left, which I think is expected, but yeah, if I can do another few of these, um, and the same thing with the people that are our investor listeners who are buying Fannie Mae, uh, Freddie Mac, excuse me, Fannie Mae, single family residential, 30 year loans. I don't know what the investment 75% uh, loan to value loan is right now, what those rates are, but my guess is 4% or under. I got a, uh, I got four flat for a 20, no, 30, 30 year am 15% down on five units for four properties on a portfolio. Like, oh, that's a commercial loan? Yeah. Yeah, what's what's the balloon? It's 20 year, 20 year. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'll take it. Better day. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's not a it's not a huge deal, but there was just enough equity in it that it was like, okay, yep, I'll I'll hold that forever. So. Also, Matt, um, I have to formally and aggressively disagree with you. He says as he turns off his camera and gets really soft and gentle. My um, shut up. My my battery. <laughs> my battery's all dead. Formerly and aggressively. Uh, yep. My battery and my camera's all dead. Um, paying overpaying for property makes you a sucker. There's no you can't justify that to me. You suck. That's not even a good. That doesn't even make you a good investor. I agree. I don't overpay for property. Uh, I can feel the aggression, Alex. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to set up. Oh man. Oh. <laughs> my camera, I think my camera died, so I don't think I have video anymore. Sorry. Perfect. The podcast ratings Good. are gonna increase immediately. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm here for you. Oh man. Okay, so Matt, what's um what's the goal for 2021? Uh my I want to hire a personal assistant by June 1st. Hell yeah. That takes care of all my stuff, all my personal email, all that stuff. And I'd like to buy, I don't know, maybe another 50 units this year and something that's not a huge, huge value add, something more turnkey, just maybe ran badly or mom and pop want to get rid of it for some reason, distressed property. I just, I don't want a lot of, I don't want another big, big project. But I'd like to get to probably 300 units this year if I can, and then take a break. Take a break. We let's go. Let's go on vacation. Where are we going? Where do you want to go? You're always going go to Cabo hike. and everywhere else. Hey, jealous. Let's go to um. Let's go somewhere we can hike. Some somewhere like. Mm. Let's go to Appalachian Appalachian Trail. Yes. That's such a math thing to say. I was gonna say like. I don't know. I'm in North Africa. I don't uh, David, the US. You're, David, you're 100% not invited. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me cut the feed real quick. Uh, so if I mute him and we can't see him, let's um, let's go. When do you want to go? When are you free? Probably in the fall time. Oh God, I'm gonna have. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be on like six trips between now and then. Um, well, I so got the, three kids. I can't just pack up and leave. Yeah, well. Okay, you make me feel bad about being single. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, goodness, goodness gracious. Well, Matt, what aren't you trying to take like six months off a year for like the rest of your life after this year? Wasn't that something? Was that you that was? Well, yeah, that's crazy my plan, girl. June 1st. Hell yeah. Uh, June 1st, I want to be able to not, not do anything. I don't want to check my bank accounts. I want to have a personal assistant that does all of it. And just I take the six awesome. months off, spend time with my family, and then try and regroup from there. I think that's really cool. I think that's, yeah, I think that's awesome. Maybe yeah, I like that. Can do some hiking. Yeah. I'll go to the Appalachian Trail. I was just giving you a hard time. Oh no! Sorry. Let's get an Airbnb at, at the Lake of the Ozarks. Hey, All right, don't let don't let David, dude. I'm I'm like an hour. I think I'm I think I'm four. Yeah, I still drive there though. Hell yeah, we'll meet up there. 
Alex didn't find his way. Don't let David plan the Airbnb. Oh my God, Alex. <laughs> Worst friend ever. Not really, but yeah, for those of you who don't have any idea what's going on, David playing this super badass six dudes. That doesn't sound super weird when I say that. Yeah. Anyway, so basically six guys mastermind and talking real estate up in the mountains here in Cali. We're going to like try to do some snowmobiling and shit, talk real estate goals, whatever. I'm trying to do it forever. And, uh, you know, I live in California right now, which means there's this pandemic and it's California. So I got canceled on and I was like, okay, fine. I asked him like, is this a, is this a you guys thing or is this an everyone thing? And they were like, oh, it's us. So I booked another one. And then they were straight up like, yeah, the city's going to come in and evict you and fine you a thousand dollars unless you're all one household. So they canceled again. I called like every city in the area and every town in the area and it was all the same. So then we all, uh, you know, had to suck it up and go to Vegas, which is actually was a ton of fun. Um, so that was my first time on the strip. Good times. We need to get a, uh, war room mastermind conference going yeah that's the hope uh both Stu and i should be i mean i should be done with the military this year Stu's not far behind and uh, assuming covid restrictions lift that's that's the plan is to absolutely do that Somewhere i'm down for that 100 we'll, down for that we'll let alex plan the uh airbnb so he can't gripe <laughs> Uh, my photography rates are very high this, this, these days, by the way. No, no one asked. Yeah. but well, you're gonna. Hey, <laughs> um, off topic, off podcast. What the hell's going on with BPCon? Anybody heard? Uh, they are going to address it. When, for this year? Nah, they don't, they haven't really messed. I don't think they've really messed with it. I think they're just kind of waiting to see how the world's going to turn out. I, the girl who puts the conference together, I Spoke to her about a month ago and she's like, I'm not even going to think about it till March because we don't know. And there's no reason in like making a bunch of mental energy sinking into it when you don't know. So they have the, I think as far as I know, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know this. I think they have everything booked like they had booked last year. So I'm sure they have a, a cancellation trigger date. Yeah. Oh, here's my, here's my next BP question since you guys are balls deep in BP. One, why is there not a Bigger Pockets multifamily podcast? And two, whatever happened with you being the veteran liaison? I can't speak to multifamily podcasts, although they are writing the, the two multifamily books right now, uh, like a part one and a part two or something like that. So maybe they're moving a little bit more into that space. I don't know. Um, I almost wonder if it's just because there are yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just because there's kind of an interesting rap for some some people in the syndication world. And I don't know. I don't want to speculate on that. Um, as for the second piece, it's a great question. And it has been brought up several times. Uh, I've talked to Mindy about it. She's brought it up to Scott. I, I just obviously not a main priority, but it's it, for them. But it's uh, it's still floating around. It's still getting brought up. I'm still trying to work that piece. Um, who knows? Yeah. Uh, as far as the multifamily goes for BP, I think they, I think they've done that kind of what they, what they, the way they did it is they broke out the podcast from larger, more seasoned veteran real estate investors as the main podcast. And the rookie podcast is for people with 10 deals or less, which I believe is something like 96% of their use. I'm guessing on that number, but 90% of their user base is 10 yeah. deals or less. So uh, I think that's how they did it, although they haven't uh, branded it the way that you said it. But I think that's kind of the the gist of what they're doing. I feel like there's no there's no podcast or there's no part of Bigger Pockets that is for the. I already bought my first couple deals. To I'm going to take on the fucking world. You know what I'm saying? Like everything in BP is for you to get that one fucking deal down. But after you get your one deal, everything else, every podcast you listen to there is, is, oh, I bought my first deal as a waitress or, you know, I, I got a great fix and flip. Like there's nothing for the big, the bigger guys or the ones that want to get bigger. If that makes sense. Well, I, like I said, I think that's what they're trying to do by breaking out the two podcasts. Um, as far as the forums go, I think the forums, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I wonder just how the demographic is actually interacting with the site. You know, what is that demographic 
it's a much smaller demographic. Well, I feel like once and, they get to that point where they're doing those kinds of deals, they're probably not asking nearly as many questions in a forum and there's not. Yeah. Also deals, as you well know, as at the, the higher the scale, the more specific they become. So what works for you doing your deals is largely more of it's not going to work for me because the market's so different. Whereas buying a single family home, you know, the mortgage is the exact same, that kind of thing. More of it yeah. is the same. So I think as people get bigger, it's like, what are you focusing on? Even if you and I still both buy 50, 50, uh, 50 unit multifamily, you're buying a different class a little bit, even a little bit. And so the strategy is much different and like how you try to make money is different. So what you do, not to say that, um, not to say that people can't learn from it, but it's like, it's so much more specialized. So I think that the, there's way reduced volume and it's just harder to, you know, are you putting that content out there, Matt? Are you putting that content out there for them? You know? No, I'm not. And I mean, I'm not at all putting any content out, but I don't, but I also, I think I'm a rare breed. I mean, I don't have a brand to sell. I don't have, I'm not raising capital. I don't have a book. I mean, I'm just me. If you don't like it, fuck you. I don't care. I can say whatever I want on social media. I can post what I want. If I offend somebody, oh, well, I don't give a fuck. Cause I'm still going to, at the end of the day, I'm still buying deals for me. I got a hundred percent of the pie. I don't have to worry about, you know, pleasing investors or worrying about if my book sales are going to tank or pissing off a boss. But I, I feel like there is a huge niche out there for people like me who want to see or hear stories of other syndicators or other big multifamily guys or something out there. I don't know. Does that make sense? Like um, what I'm talking about, I, there's I, no, there's just that gray area where nobody's at. Yeah, Cause all the guys I, who are syndicators are doing it with the intent of finding investors rather than talking to other syndicators. They're pitching is what they're yeah. fucking doing. They're pitching themselves. Yeah. Do it without pitching. He's so mad. Uh, I don't have anything to pitch. I raised money this year. I don't sell anything. You sell your soul. I don't, I don't have to sell my soul. I still cuss on the internet. I say what I, I feel like. Yeah. I know. I actually have been growing more into that and I love it. Like the other day. I think people like it better. This whole someone like. Said, um, someone said something on the internet and they were like, why'd you do this, 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 this? And I was literally just like, because it's mine and I can say whatever I want. Hmm. It's like, it's a good feeling. Yeah. To be petty. You no, petty. That's, that, that's not to be petty, but to be able to be like, look, I don't have to, I, I lost someone who'd been a follower forever because they were upset that I said fuck online. And I'm like, look, I, I get it. I'm sorry. But uh, like, that's me. I don't, I don't have to, or care to, or feel like I should change that. And like the whole point of building something on your own or, or, or in Matt's case, not building something on your own is to be able to be like, fuck you, this is me. Take it or leave it. And ironically, people love that. Yeah, I don't know why. All right, well, I, all right let me uh, put the tables. What are you? What are you two gonna do this year to make to? What's your fucking? What's what? <laughs> what's your team's goals? What's you guys' goals for the year? Get out of the military. No, I, Matt, I'm gonna let Alex go first because I'm curious to hear this. Um, I gotta flip a few houses this year. I'm gonna produce a few more episodes for that bigger pocket series. That's hard. I, we, I'm scaling that in a weird way. Um, well, I thought I was going to scale it, but turns out I'm going to have to do a lot of my stuff again, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to do more episodes of that BP series. I'm going to do a few flips. I got one under contract. That should give me some good momentum. I'm going to try to buy a 150 unit property, A class in like Charlotte, 26, 20 or $26 million property. That's what I'm going to try to do. I like it. Uh, my goal is to exit the military and build the platform for, for one, that's, that's the biggest focus is to build the reach of the platform. So I'm going to publish a book within the first two, three months uh, of the year. I've got it back from the editor. So it should be out March, April 1st, somewhere in there. Um, so publish, publish my book, grow the platform, reach more people, help more vets, use their VA loan, get into real estate, whatever. Right. And then on the real estate side, I'm actually kind of, I mean, I'm still, so I started marketing more to off market, like five to 25 units. Cause I like the mom and pop, like 20 unit, 15 unit, 25 unit, like seller finance on a apartment, whatever. Um, but I've actually had a ton of luck with, uh, like 
small retiring landlord, like single family, duplex, triplex, small deals. Uh, like I got four under contract right now that, I mean, I'm paying $12,000 per house on Friday. That's worth, you know, three times that, uh, and, and three times that without doing the renovations. So, um, I'm kind of trying to scale the local, I don't want to just be wholesale, but like the kind of vertical, Hey, look, if you guys want to come invest in this market, I've got the team, I've got everything. Like this is the one-stop shop with the intent of the fact that like I'm building it out for myself so that I can continue to buy those properties. And then if other people want to invest in that market, because I think my market is poised to be kind of a hot spot in the next couple of years. So I want to make sure I'm set up to enjoy that. That's, that's kind of me, but really the biggest focus I guess in there is uh, to the, the big goal and all that is just to exit the military and survive the first year without going W2 to prove to myself that I did it and I can do it and then grow and go on vacation apparently in the mountains. Matt, how do you set goals? Do you set them by uh, like behavior, personality? Do you set them metrics? Like some people have income goals. So I set my goal. I write my goals down from, so I'm in GoBundance which is really targeted towards goals and building yourself, creating horizontal income. Um, I usually set down two goals per pillar, like health, relationships, horizontal income, accountability, bucket list items, and then general con or genuine contribution. So I try to do two goals of that. Um, a, lot, a lot of my goals just, I mean, there are things that I just want to do. I don't, I don't necessarily just find something and do the whole Grant Cardone, try and 10 X it just to reach my goal. Like, like one of my goals is uh, that me and my wife do is every month we try and find somebody in need and anonymously either give or help them in some way, whether it's, you know, like buying tires for their vehicle or just sending them a, you know, a gas card or something, we try and find someone and, not, and do that anonymously. And it's not, I mean, it's not to, as a tax write-off or anything. It's just something personal that we like to do. And then I try, you know, I, I try and set so many dates a week for myself to be with my kids. I try to, you know, hit the gym five days a week. I, I think goal setting is important and definitely writing it down. I've seen in the past few years, definitely writing it down and making it measurable, putting it down on the calendar saying, Hey, by this date, I want to do this. Like for instance, last year I put down October 1st, I'm going to start my own property management. And I wrote that on the calendar in January. And by October 1st, I, it was on there. I saw it every day by October 1st, I was running my own property management company in house. So I think writing them down is a huge, huge thing. Uh, just seeing them every day. I'm not, I'm not a, goal guru or i think you have to write down 10 goals a day right next to your bed but definitely write them down and try and stick to them make them measurable don't try and make them so big you can't get to them like i don't want to say hey i'm gonna make five million dollars next year in passive income because it's not going to happen but hey i might add an extra 10 grand a month to my passive income that's reasonable yeah yeah that's what i do i like, I like that and i like the idea of um so i have google well, I used all the Google stuff, but I have a, I have goals on Google Docs, Google Sheets, my note, my keep. And I have like, whether it's to-do lists, monthly goals, or like all this other stuff. And so I think that's right. Like having somewhere where you have to look at them all the time, they keep you fresh in mind. You're not distracted by whatever's just coming in front of you. You're like, you see this stuff. Like, this is what I wanted to do. This is what, when I was clear-headed, sober, and being thoughtful, this is what I wanted to do. It keeps you accountable to yourself in a really good way. I, th I think having an accountability partner is one of the biggest things to, to get you to accomplish it. Cause what is it like trying to get a new habit? It takes, what is it like 66 days in order to get, make that habit, habit, uh, an everyday thing or something, something like that. Isn't it? 20, 26 days to make a, a new, a behavior into a habit. Okay. Yeah, that's what it is. So I think that's a huge thing is having, having a uh, accountability part. Like for instance, in my go pod and go abundance, you know, we set two goals, every week we talk. So one goal is personal. One is business. If the following week you don't make that goal, then you're putting a hundred dollars into a pot. 
And then whenever we get to a certain dollar amount, we're going to donate that, that pot to charity. So, you know, some guys might have no money in there. Other guys might have a couple grand in there. It's just, you set goals for that week to help you get your, get your big goals. So you're not, it's nothing that you can't obtain. It's, it's something like, Hey, you know what? I have to get this done because next week I have to get a zoom call with five other guys. And if I can't prove to them that I did my goal, I have to pay out my, I mean, it's a monetary thing. I have to pay out. And even during the week, we could text each other or call each other and say, Hey, you know, I'm struggling with this or, Hey, I got this done early. Now this is my new goal. So that accountability group, I think is another huge, huge aspect that people don't realize like masterminds are, some of them are expensive, but it's worth it. I think because you're around the, you're around a network of people that are, you know, they're your IQ level. They're doing what you want to do. They want to hold each other accountable. So I think mastermind groups and accountability partners are two lifelines you have to have when, when doing goals. I absolutely agree. Yeah. I would not have been able to do my 52 unit this year, last year, if I didn't, if I wasn't in the war room all year, for sure. Hanging out with you guys. Whoop, whoop. Look at that. Alex, that's not even, that's not even a plug. That's just the truth. I was going to say, we went from, we went from telling people not to pitch to. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I tell people what to do. Nobody tells me what to do. No, I, I mean, that was (laughs) the whole, the whole reason behind wanting to start that was to create a community that was something like that. Cause I didn't have it in my life. Yeah. Now I'm getting ready. If you didn't have that group or or pot in the, in the war room, who's going to hold you accountable? Who are you going to ask for, for knowledge? You need to be in something where people are smarter than you in one subject, but you're smarter than them in another to provide value. So if you, if you weren't in that war room, would you have been able to do that? No, no, me. No, I said, no way. That's why I think the the small monthly monthly payment is worth it because you have an accountability partner and you have a whole set of resources for you to get to you have guys that are doing big deals or no deals and, Guys that are big into marketing, guys that are big into fix and flips or wholesale. You have everybody from every aspect coming in and they're joining a team where you can just bounce questions on and they hold you accountable. You don't meet your goals. All right, why didn't you meet your goals? Oh, you didn't do this? Well, why didn't you do that? Because you were lazy, you were tired, you slept You slept in? Well, that's not an excuse. Get your shit done. Yeah. Yeah, I actually got really lucky with our mastermind because I think I'm by far the lowest guy on the totem pole, which I love. Maybe in some aspects, but you're pretty freaking savvy on, you know, economics and risk tolerance and underwriting and all those other crazy things that, I mean, I learned more from you about macroeconomics this year than I knew the rest of my life. So yeah, that still doesn't get you paid. Give yourself some credit. (laughs) I mean, it does when the world collapses and you knew (laughs) you saw some signs. Only if you short it. Yeah, well, yeah, unless, of, unless of course you shorted it it ends up on reddit <laughs> nothing yeah. like a short squeeze to cost you know lives and billions but yeah i uh, overall i agree i'm really glad to i want to do more of them actually masterminds yep all right so matt what is uh so obviously we got your goal personal assistant 2021 um let me just ask you like a question or two like uh, just as, as we kind of get closer to wrapping this up, you've done a ton of stuff that, you know, people listening to this are going to be like, holy crap, that dude bought what on his own? Like, you know, and, and without a millions of dollars worth of loans to start, right? Like you started off from normal sergeant in the Marine Corps and crushed it on your own, essentially. Um, what what are some things you think that you could have done a little bit better along the way or that you wish you knew when you took that leap? Try not to do everything on my own. Delegate. Find those that can relieve some of the pressure for me. I think in the beginning, I was doing everything from, you know, acquisitions to flipping, roofing, siding, windows, leasing, handyman, all that. And I, I think it built my knowledge base to a certain point, but eventually I plateaued. And the the biggest thing for me was as soon as I hired a property manager and I didn't have to do all that crap, I was free. I was free to go find deals, go network, you know, go have coffee with so-and-so or go to the bar with so-and-so and and just network. 
And then I just kept finding deals. My deal flow became so, so much better than what it was because I had nothing but time on my hand. And then I grew to a point where, hey, I'm at a, I, it doesn't make sense financially for me to pay out a property manager. I might as well bring it all in house. That way I'm having everybody's, everybody that works for me, their energy and attention is focused on me and my product. You know, it's not a, not all property managers are bad, but a lot of them have multiple owners that they have to listen to. Every owner is different. My people that work for me, they only know what I want. So they're filling vacancies only for me. They're building, you know, my team better. It's, it's, I think it's, you get to a certain level and you have to bring it in house. Third party is not an option, but starting off with, I'd say five units or more locally, that property manager is going to help you out. So it's, that's a huge thing is just delegating stuff to people. Quit trying to do everything on your own. I would never have kept buying real estate if I didn't have a property manager. I don't have the personality to deal with tenants. I'm too nice. Like I, I would be too lenient. So, yeah. I um, made my property manager my partner. So I didn't have to bring it in house and I'd have to do it, but he has vested interest in the deal. So maybe not the same because he does have other clients. You know, he does have other, other properties to manage still that aren't mine, but gives me a little bit of, a little bit. Yeah, of but he has equitable interest in it. Yeah. So yeah, he's going to do the best he can. His, his name's in, in that. So at the end of the day, that pay, part of that paycheck's his. So he's going to do the best he can on it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I like that. I love how your aunt, you said, hey, the thing I would wish I would have known was to um, work with other people better. And yet, didn't this whole podcast, the whole thing was like, well, how do you do this by yourself? Why don't you get some freaking help, bro? <laughs> Money partners, underwriting partners, deal act. Well, deal acquisition sounds like it's your specialty. Why don't you get somebody here? Me and my partner, VJ, we'll do due diligence. We'll do um, underwriting. No problem. You just go find deals. No, you go find the deals. I'll raise the money. No pitch podcast. <laughs> no, what, what, what's going on? I'm just uh, no, no pitches outside of Alex, who does does fit those in. Actually, you know, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna pull up a montage of Alex pitches. There's there's, there's a couple in here. I've, know, got, I've got. I know I've got a photography picture too. I'm pretty sure I've got a, a metal portrait pitch on here at some point. Um, videography pitch is definitely in there oh and the firefighter dude alex you pitched firefighter dude on going up to get a beer with him i did do that yeah and you didn't get the um beer. didn't close the door. Uh, always be always be closing yeah but you didn't close it i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you <laughs> i'm a salesman i'm always gonna be a salesman i'm gonna tell you i'm just <laughs> oh, I'm, a really think... good, I'm, a, I'm a really good one what can i tell you what can i say <laughs> i think uh again off podcast i think i'm gonna probably start either I don't want to syndicate. I think I might start JB. I want to do at least one just to see how it goes. But I think my, I think my biggest fear is that raising money is not an accomplishment. It's an obligation. That's the way I look at it. Like mm. I, I could, I could raise a million dollars. That to me, that's not an accomplishment to me. Now I have an obligation to people is they trusted me with their money and I promised them a return. If I didn't get that form, I would feel horrible about that. I would personally write them a check for every single dollar plus whatever I promised them for interest. That's where I, that's my problem with with part. I think of you, I think you overestimate the burden of responsibility. Underestimate how good it feels to make other people profit, and they're going to be very happy with you. Absolutely, no, I agree, hundred hundred percent. I do. Well, so it's the, the same thing we hand, said about. Do I have time to do it is my other question. Well, see, here's a, here's the other thing is I think uh, for you to raise capital, you would have to change your different asset class. I don't think it would, I don't think it would, I don't think you need it with the asset class you're doing now. So you'd have to scale up. Otherwise, what do you need the money for? Yeah. I mean, I mean, right now I have no problem closing deals on my own between two to 5 million. I can close those all day long by myself. It's the ones that are above 5 million is where it gets hard because, well, because think about it. Everybody who wants to get in the multifamily that's new, whether they're doctors, dentists, lawyers, whatever, they're at the $2 million and below. 
because they're going to have to bring four or $500,000 cash to the table. They usually don't have the experience. Everybody who's the syndicates and everything else, they're looking for deals for 5 million and above. So I'm in that sweet spot where I can do it all myself, but I need yeah. to, I want to move up to a bigger, bigger price point. And I mean, I get deals all the time. I could find that are a class B class. I just, I don't take them because they're not value add. I can't, I mean, it's, no, it's just no, me. No. I'm not going to buy a, I'm not going to buy a turnkey A-class property where I'm, you know, making my minimum payments and everything. I want something that I can have a huge amount of equity in and cash flow to build my portfolio well, to buy more. Like well, it. to your point, to your point about um, the responsibility to your uh, stakeholders, when you spend their money, it's not, yeah, you stop buying what you want and you start buying what's good for the fund. You start, yeah. you, you are right. You are right in that regard where you're like, oh, now I have to answer them. It's like, yeah. So you may have, you know, what if you have investors? I don't know. I look at it differently. So I say, what if I have a guy who's like, hey, look, I want to buy an A-class property. I have all the money for it, but I don't know how to do it. So like me and him can pair up because I'm not out there just trying to raise money and spend it. It's like that guy already wants to spend the money and he wants it in a low risk, right? He'll take 8% cash return. He wants to stick this amount. It's like, go find me the right property. I think that's a, for me, that's yeah. a better way to look at it than just like, hey, if that's what you, like, if you want to go buy something, then, then it's different, right? If you're like, I want to go buy this, then pitch that way. But if you have investors, so I guess it depends on which resources you have in abundance. Some people, like you said, like, um, they're just going out there raising money. That's all they do. They just raise money. And so it's like, now you have to go spend their money the way they want them. So I guess if you did it your way, did a JV, it's like, this is what I'm going to buy with or without you take somebody's money and, and see if you can do it on your terms. All right. Yeah. I think I'm going to, I wouldn't mind JV in for once just to get my toe in the water, but I don't know, man, if I did syndicate, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. Like I don't want to have to worry about how all the little shit. That's why I want to hire a personal assistant. I don't want to do that shit, but yet I have the deal flow. I have the team and I have a portion of the capital for larger properties. So I just, I mean, I've got two of the three, areas to buy the bigger deals. I just, I don't know if I want to deal with the shit, the emails, the crap like that. That's why I really think it'd be better for me to hire executive assistant first to do all that. Yeah. I bet you could probably but I need to find someone I can trust. Yep. There's the piece. All right, Matt, I got two questions. I always ask everyone. I guess the, the first one, well, we already covered one of them. So uh, the first one, or the, I guess the other one would be a uh, resource you recommend anyone looking to get started in real estate, book, course, website, whatever. Mentor, go out and find somebody that's already at the top of the mountain and willing to throw the rope down for you, help you get to the top, bring them value in some way, whether it's making them coffee or mowing their yard, bring them value and listen to every word they got to say. Yeah, just don't take around. investment advice from somebody worth less money than you. Oh yeah. I love that. Love it. All right. And where can people get a hold of you? On Instagram at Matt DeBoss, uh, bigger pockets and tripleholdings.com. Right. On. And only fans. Only fans. <laughs> yes. So you That's won't do any doing. social media branding, but this is the, this is the one you choose. <laughs> there's, there's more money in OnlyFans than Instagram or Facebook. At least so I hear. Say, uh, do you think that some of these social media sites will, um, as their markets mature, they will change? Like I look at TikTok and I'm like, that's going to change from uh, young kids dancing to a more diverse user base as time goes on. Dude, it, it already is. Yeah, Have you, are you on TikTok? Dude, it's all it is is in it's in it's a dude. I was anti TikTok till about six days ago, and I, I got on it like, just because my wife finally on it? got it only a week ago. <laughs> dude, it, it is a lot of like house hacks, like do it yep. yourselfers, investors. This is how you can do this. Like it turned from kids dancing in the street at, or at the drive thru at McDonald's to like real people giving real advice it's like almost like youtube yeah but three like minutes. in another uh, thing 60 seconds yeah but another thing is i think you guys are missing out is clubhouse is a huge platform right now I, I there don't have, are um, mega people on that phone i don't have android yeah i know I wanna, you're I fucking 
so too dude i'm telling you like there is so many people on there i mean it's just get on you find somebody with an iphone and just get on it for one chat and you will see the amount of people i mean it's a zoom call that people can essentially just join or get the fuck out there's moderators who can control who talks who wants to bring i mean everybody's on it and there's a lot like grant cardone is always on it always fucking running a suck on that thing but there's a lot of like there's a lot of big names on there adpi is yep. huge on that website oh shit all right before he gets mad we gotta wrap this up i'm so mad yeah no unfortunately we we got a wrap we got another one we're about to record matt thank you very 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 much for joining always a pleasure matt you're the man thank you thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire if you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.